the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Oh, yes, indeed it is. Good morning to you. Ten minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. It is the 13th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2023. And do you realize that that makes this a free-for-all Friday? (laughs) The 13th. Yeah, yeah. uh, This might be a bad luck day for Joe Biden. I know yesterday was a bad luck day for Joe Biden. On Thursday the 12th, uh, a special counsel was appointed to investigate his mishandling of multiple stashes of classified documents. How about that? What an interesting development this is. A special counsel, do you know how difficult it must have been for the corrupt Department of Justice head, Attorney General Merrick Garland, to actually do something that would embarrass his boss. Do you know how difficult it must have been? The closed-door meetings, the heated voices, the probably screaming and the profanity, that Merrick Garland was not going to be able to dodge this. He had to go out there and appoint a special counsel. After everything that was done in August to President Trump, about President Trump, after all of that, 
Uh, he couldn't just let Joe Biden sit here and skate and then say, ah, you know, let us know when your aides and staffers find more. Um, no, they can't. The Biden team can't be in charge of now looking through all of his residences, his garages, his libraries, his coat closets, his whatever, his, his office buildings in D.C. He couldn't do it. They, he could not let the Biden team just investigate and, and search all those places because Lord only knows what they discover and what they'd shred. The FBI has to take control of this. And the only way that can happen, of course, is for a special counsel to be appointed. And, yes, Merrick Garland did exactly that. So it's uh, quite an interesting develop, excuse me, development that we have going on here this morning. Suddenly got the hiccups. Pardon me. Quite an interesting situation in which the AG has uh, confirmed the, the uh, appointment of a special counsel. And what's really interesting, in my estimation, is whether or not there's going to be a hero galloping in and riding a white horse to save and rescue Joe Biden. What am I talking about? Yesterday, I posted on my social media, follow me on Twitter at France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z-R-A-N-T-Z, at France Rants. Um, I posted there and also on my Facebook page. I didn't put it on my Truth Social. i got to get back on that. But just kind of a meme that was developed. You know those CAPTCHA or ReCAPTCHA photos that uh, whenever you try to log into a secure place, they want to make sure that you're not a robot, so they make you click every image that contains a traffic traffic signal. We've all been through those online. We hate them. <laughs> Do you know anybody who doesn't hate those? I just abhor those. Um, click every image. You know they have like a grid, a block, a grid of like twelve blocks, and click every one that has a crosswalk in it or a part portion of a crosswalk. And you got to it proves that you're a human looking and scanning at things instead of being a, a bot, right? Well, they, somebody made a meme yesterday, which was just all kinds of hilarious. Uh, it featured a picture of Donald Trump, a picture of um, Hillary Clinton, and it pe- featured a picture of Joe Biden. And the recapture request was select all squares with people who can declassify documents. And it's got two, four, six, eight. You know, all of the pictures are broken up into little squares. Eight of them of President Trump all checked. And then Joe Biden sitting there looking bewildered and Hillary Clinton looking stunned, of course, no checks. Because only a president can unilaterally declassify documents. Hillary Clinton was never president. Joe Biden was never president. Only Donald Trump could do that. So if we're comparing the the uh, uh, classified documents that were found in Mar-a-Lago and the classified documents that were found in Delaware next to the Corvette, the classified documents that were found in the Penn Building in Washington, D.C., that were taken out before uh, he left office, uh, the office of the vice president in 2017. Well, there's only one of them that is in the clear here. Donald Trump would be in the clear here. Donald Trump was president. Donald Trump could declassify those documents. That's the reality. Joe Biden could not have. Hillary Clinton could not have. President Trump could. So it kind of matters here when the left is trying to play the, you know, compare which is worse situation. Donald Trump could have very easily said before he left office in January 2021, I'm declassifying this, 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 and this, and I'm taking him uh, back to to Mar-a-Lago with me. He's the president, the commander-in-chief. He gets to make that call. The vice president could never do that. Which brings me to my white horse question. 
who might be galloping to the rescue on a white horse trying to save Joe Biden, maybe save his presidency? And the answer, of course, would be Barack Obama. Right? While Joe Biden could never have declassified documents as just vice president and taken them with him, his boss could have. Will Barack Obama mount that steed and come riding to the rescue saying, whoa, 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 everybody, hold on before you run this man out of town on a rail. All of those documents that you found in Vice President Biden's possession, now President Biden's possession, were declassified by me. Just as Trump's answer to the de- or the classified documents found at Mar-a-Lago was, I declassified them, Obama could very easily come in and say, I declassified these and gave them to the vice president to take to his offices, his home, or whatever, for whatever reason. He could come in and ride to the rescue, couldn't he? The question is, is would he? Will he? Does he care enough about Joe Biden, his vice president, to uh, not have his legacy destroyed? Because this is happening while he's in office, not former president like President Trump. This is happening while he's in office, even though this uh, crime, if you will, uh, took place or this incident or these decisions took place while he was vice president and before he left office. You know, he's the president now. This is a massive scandal on a sitting president of the United States. Would Obama want to ride in and save him? Or does Obama not have a whole lot of loyalty to Joe Biden? Because you remember, Barack Obama once said before uh, before he left, never underestimate, and I'm paraphrasing the exact quote, I could probably find it, never underestimate Joe's ability to blank things up. Remember that? It was got a lot of play. It was a viral clip. Uh, never underestimate Joe's ability to blank things up. And again, it's a paraphrase, not, not an exact quote. But you just wonder if anybody is going to come to Joe Biden's rescue now that Merrick Garland has indeed appointed special counsel Robert Hur to investigate what has only become over the last 24, 48, and then 36 hours, or excuse me, 72 hours, yeah, that's wrong math, uh, 24, 48, and 72 hours has only gotten worse. Each day we're finding out there's more. Oh, now there's a third location of documents. Somebody's going to have to investigate this who is not on Team Biden. Earlier today... I, saw, I signed an order appointing Robert Hur a special counsel for the matter I've just described. The document authorizes him to investigate whether any person or entity violated the law in connection with this matter. The special counsel will not be subject to the day-to-day supervision of any official of the department, but he must comply with the regulations, procedures, and policies of the department. Mr. Hur has a long and distinguished career as a prosecutor. Earlier today, okay, that was that was uh, Merrick Garland talking about Robert Hur, who's been appointed special counsel. And obviously, the appearance has to be that we are looking at this through nonpartisan lenses. We are the Department of Justice. We haven't been corrupted. We haven't been weaponized against the American people. We haven't been weaponized against conservatives. No, no, not at all. We are an impartial lady justice supporting uh, department. Uh, and we go after anybody and everybody, depending on what their crimes are, and it doesn't matter. Nobody's above the law. That had to be the appearance. But as one Twitter user said in response to Merrick Garland's announcement, the paraphrase could be, I have been appointed by Biden to investigate Biden and exonerate Biden before the House Republicans hold committee hearings to impeach Biden 
and me. Because you better believe that those are discussions that have been had in Republican circles, in the Republican caucus, with Speaker, now Speaker Kevin McCarthy, that there has been talk of investigating Biden, and yes, impeaching Biden, as well as Attorney General Merrick Garland. You better believe that that is happening. So more of the classified documents. And yesterday, the prize soundbite of the day came from uh, Dementia Joe himself as he was called on the carpet at a press conference about these documents he was called on a press conference for leaving uh, called out rather for leaving them in his garage in his best soundbite ever maybe and we've got a treasure trove of joe biden soundbites that are just classic uh is well it's here classified classified material next to your corvette what were you thinking let me uh i'm going to by the way the Stones on <laughs> Peter Ducey. <laughs> Those are made of iron. He's got, or brass, maybe I think is the better uh, is a better phrase. He's got some brass ones to phrase it that way to the President of the United States. Not, can you explain it, sir? Not, can you tell us why they were in your garage, sir? It's, you left classified documents next to your Corvette? What were you thinking? I mean, Peter Ducey just kicking and casting respect all to the side and just asking it the way of a regular, ordinary American would. Dude, you saw what happened with President Trump's classified documents. You called it the height of irresponsibility. What were you thinking, Peter Ducey asked? Yeah, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a lock garage. Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. <laughs> Make it stop. You know, the garage was locked. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like they were sitting in the street. Oh, well, hell, you got them in your garage next to your Corvette. I mean, that's definitely secure, especially as long as you lock the garage. President Trump had documents at Mar-a-Lago which is protected and secured as a former president and his residence would be by secret service. You talk about locked and protected so that no one without access could get to any documentation Donald Trump may have declassified. It's in it's in secret service protected Mar-a-Lago. Donald Trump says, "Well, you know, I locked my garage. After all, he's got a he's got a classic muscle car there." The Corvette is there, and I always keep the garage locked because I don't want you to steal my Corvette. By the way, curious, is that Corvette a vehicle that uses fossil fuels? Ooh, sorry. kind of forgot about that. It better be an EV, right, Dementia Joe? But anyway, yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, It was locked. That means it's okay. But as I said earlier this week... People know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. Do they? People know that? How do people know that? Because you said so when Donald Trump was discovered to have had classified documents in Mar-a-Lago and you had to rip him? Is that how we know you take classified documents seriously? Because somehow, some way, there at the University of Pennsylvania, D- uh, Biden, D.C. office, and also in your garage next to your vet. I also said we're cooperating fully and completely with the Justice Department's review. As- when did you start cooperating fully with the Justice Department because they had this information back in November. 
before the midterm elections. Gee, do you think that this information, had it been made public prior to the December 8th, or excuse me, the November 8th uh, midterm elections, because this happened on November 2nd, do you think if this information had been made public, it might have influenced the outcome of some of those races? No! Just like the existence and thus the suppression of the Hunter Biden, Biden crime family laptop, weeks before the presidential election in 2020, would never, had it been made public, had any impact whatsoever on the outcome of that election, right? But you're fully cooperating. That's good to know, Dementia Joe. As part of that process, my lawyers reviewed other places where documents in my, uh, of, from my time as vice president were stored, and they finished the review last night. They discovered a small number of documents of classified markings and storage areas in file cabinets in my home and my, in my, my, my personal library. This was done in the case of the Biden Penn. This was done in the case of the Biden Penn Center. The Department of Justice was immediately, as was done, the Department of Justice was immediately notified, and the lawyers arranged for the Department of Justice to take possession of the document. Uh, your lawyers found more, and all of the ones that they found, they called the Department of Justice and turned them over. Right? No selective. Uh removal of some of those documents no nobody to confirm and verify that everything that was found was turned over to the doj no there's no scandal here at all none a special counsel has been appointed it is not going to amount to amount to a hill of beans because there's no way uh, garland was going to allow this special counsel to do anything that might harm president biden or the democrats you better believe that but even from an optic standpoint this looks bad for dementia joe all right, quick timeout. Oh, no, no timeout yet. It's 925. Friends, patriots, stand. Face your flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us. If you believe in anything Joe Biden just said on that stage, well, then you don't believe in that flag anyway. You are a Democrat. As such, you uh, you may ex- you may feel exempted, rather, from uh, the request to stand and pledge allegiance to the flag. Take a knee instead, where you're more comfortable, next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Summary right now for President Joe Biden. You just got to try harder not to suck. We'll be back. Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 937, thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Phone lines are open, contrary to maybe my behavior in the first segment, in which I just rambled for a very long time about some very important things. And i got more rambling to do. I do. It's important stuff that we need to really explain and get to the bottom of. But I do want to make this a free-for-all Friday, so uh, dial up. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110, and we will get you up and on the radio. But first, just, just the latest episode of Kareen Jean-Pierre, Diversity Hire. 
you remember Corrine Jean-Pierre, the press secretary? She's black and she's gay, and you need to know it. The White House told you you need to know that, that she was the first black and gay press secretary in the history of the White House. That was very important for them to you to know that. So the black and gay diversity hire, Corrine uh, Jean-Pierre, was at her best this week as she continued to try to deal with questions involving the classified documents that have been hidden and stored at Biden's residence, in his garage, at the Biden Penn office in Washington, D.C. And Corrine Jean-Pierre, diversity hire, wants you to know that he takes this very seriously. Come on, KJP. He takes classified information and materials seriously. And as we have said, we have cooperated from the moment we informed the archives that a small number of documents were found, and we will continue to cooperate. We have cooperated closely with the Justice Department throughout its review, and we will continue that cooperation with the special counsel. We are confident that a thorough review will show that these documents were inadvertently misplaced and the president and his lawyers acted promptly upon discovering of this mistake. Okay, so so completely inadvertent. They ended up in a box in his garage next to his Corvette because they were mistaken for a bunch of old oil rags. He thought it was a box full of oil rags, you know, when he changes the oil in his Corvette or checks the oil. Uh, It just happened to be classified documents. Somehow, the movers grabbed a bunch of uh, boxes that they didn't really read the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the Sharpie on the side of the box closely enough and, and grabbed things that were supposed to go uh, to the archives, to the National Archives, and somehow they came to Biden's Delaware home and didn't get discovered until, you know, six years after he left the White House as vice president. But okay, if that's what you say, KJP, diversity hire, let's continue. The review was underway when you guys gave a detailed statement about the first set of documents. The review was underway when the president spoke about the first set of documents. You're now saying that you didn't talk about the second set of documents discovered almost a month prior because a review was underway. I, like, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. No, like, the I review was underway the entire time. The only difference was that reporters had information on the first set of documents, and therefore you chose to exclude the second set of documents until reporters got information on the second set of documents. Well, let me unconfuse. This reporter just busted her and the entire Biden lie machine. The Just busted her, period. You knew about the second set of documents when the review was already underway and you didn't say squat. You knew about it when Biden spoke and he didn't say squat about a second batch. Everybody knew because the process was underway. How can you claim that you're being transparent? And I, and I love this line by, uh, by KJP here. Let's hear this. Well, let me unconfuse you uh, for a second. Let me unconfuse you. Let me unconfuse you about your confusion. I can feel, look, we are trying to do this by the book. And I said yesterday this was under uh, review by the Department of Justice. And the process is as such. Uh, when, the pre- when the president's lawyers realized that the, do- the documents existed, that they were there, they reached out to the archives. They reached out to the Department of Justice. Rightfully so, may I add, that is what you're supposed to do as lawyers. That's what they did. And they have fully been cooperating uh, with, um, uh, with the Department of Justice. But you haven't been fully cooperating with the American people or the American press because his question wasn't about that. You extraordinarily incompetent buffoon of a press secretary, a.k.a. diversity hire. 
The question was about why you didn't address this and talk about this and fess up. Why didn't Biden do that when he knew there was a second batch because the process was already underway? Telling us you're trying to do this by the book. Tell us more about your transparency, KJPDH. Last thing is initial statement who asked him on Monday. The president addressed us on Tuesday in Mexico City. All the conversation was about the documents in the office. However, according to the Attorney General, documents were found on December 20th. And as Roger Wilmington, why was that not immediately addressed? Is the White House being transparent about that if that was already known and not discussed up front? So just to, you said transparent. I want to say that we have been transparent here. Uh, that is why the minute that his lawyers found those documents, uh, they reported it. They reached out to the archives and the Department of Justice, and they did that voluntarily. Uh, and they were not compelled to do it. They did it voluntarily. But this was on November 2nd. KJPDH, why wasn't this made public, transparency lady? Why wasn't transparency in place? Why didn't the people know this before the midterm elections? It couldn't have anything to do with politics, could it? It couldn't have anything to do with the upcoming elections and control of the House and the Senate, could it? No, you've been fully transparent, right? That's what you're telling me. So the real question now is, hey, is uh, your boss, Sleepy Dementia Joe, who hired you because you're black and gay, as they announced, your black and gayness is an extraordinary uh, feather in their cap. So uh, does your boss have any more documents that he might accidentally discover next to the... Uh, uh, next to the Pennzoil in the garage? Look, uh, I can just refer you to what his team said. The search is complete. Uh, he is confident in this process, and I will leave it there. And and they've been cooperating very closely with the Department of Justice. <laughs> the search is complete. So there's no more. That's what we're supposed to believe, right? I think it's fair, it's only fair for us to ask um, whether or not this was, I talked about it somewhat yesterday, an inside job. Is somebody within the Democrat Party, is somebody within the um, the camp that says we cannot go to battle in 2024 with then an 82-year-old cognitively declining man whose popularity just shrinks, who is responsible for some just enormous embarrassments on an almost daily, certainly weekly, but almost daily basis. We can't go to battle with him in 2024. We have to make sure he can't run again. He's very close to making his decision. We have to erase that from his thought process. We've got to embarrass him. We've got to, we've got to find some way. If this was an inside job, it's, it speaks very, very loudly to what the Democrat uh, mindset is, but moreover, it puts this country in even more grave danger. How? If they use this to remove Joe Biden from the presidency, we're going to have to get used to saying hail to the chief to Madam Giggles. We're going to have to get used to President Harris if this happens. Is this an inside job? Why did somebody decide to go and search Joe Biden's garage next to his Corvette? How did this all come to pass? What's the real goal here? Former attorney, acting attorney general Matt Whitaker answered that question. So, I mean, whether or not you think this is an organized effort from within the Democratic Party to prevent Biden from running again, I think it's really clear that it is. I'm still confused as to why we don't know the details. 
why haven't they right. told us why they were searching six years later for these documents? Who was doing it? Like, wh what is this? And why won't they tell us? Well, there's a lot of facts we don't know. If you remember, famously in the Mar-a-Lago case, they spread out the documents on the carpet, took a picture, sent that to the media, made sure that everyone yeah. saw the evidence. In this case, we don't know much about the contents uh, of the documents. We don't know much about why. We were told that it was because he was moving out of uh, the Penn offices and his lawyers were going through the documents. But then why go through the garage? You know, why? And really, the other thing that is very concerning about this case, Merrick Garland waited four weeks to appoint a special counsel when he knew on December 20th that he had a major problem. And they were hoping that this never saw the light of day. And that's really uh, a sad fact about this whole case is they didn't want this to the American people to even know this had happened. But it did see the light of day. And where does that leave us? I mean, seriously, it leaves us wondering what the goal is, who set him up, and whether or not the the intent is to remove him and force the rest of us to, to to call this our president in full view of the rest of the world. I am here, standing here on the northern flank, on the eastern flank, talking about what we have in terms of the eastern flank and our NATO allies. So Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. You know, when we talk about our children, I know for this group, we all believe that when we talk about the children of the community, they are the children of the community. So to that end, we are announcing today also that we will assist Jamaica in COVID recovery um, by assisting in terms of the recovery efforts in Jamaica that have been essential to, I believe, what is necessary. Is that something that the administration would continue, would consider in terms of further sanctions, cutting off the oil and gas uh, part of the economy for Russia? Well, as you know, that on this issue, for example, we applaud Germany in terms of what it has done as it relates to Nord Stream 2, as it relates to what we need to do domestically as well as, as what we need to do in terms of this issue generally. The refugee system is essentially not set up for this, that it will collapse. It's an improvised system that can work for maybe two weeks, but not indefinitely. And I'm wondering what the United States is going to do more specifically to set up a permanent infrastructure and relatedly, is the United States willing to make a specific allocation for Ukrainian refugees? And for President Duda, I wanted to know if you think, and if you asked the United States to specifically accept more refugees. Okay. <laughs> a friend in need is a friend indeed. <laughs> okay, uh, okay, so this time... That would be the person we send to the rest of the world and say, this is the best we've got. This is, this is top notch. This is, of the 335 million people in our country, this is the best we've got. This is the one we chose as our leader. This would be the one that's our president. That would be the result of this if they managed to drive Biden out. Just saying. Derek in Richfield. Derek, thanks for waiting. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away, sir. Hey, good morning, Bob. Thank you. Um, yeah, I know that's just terrible. All those uh, 
uh, Vice President clips you just played uh, got confused me, but what I'm unconfused about <laughs> is, huh? Well, so, li- you know, first, first thing that came to me listening to Biden re- interacting with Peter Ducey, it just seemed very out of character for him. Because, I mean, normally, he, right, he isn't he? He would usually be very crotchety, you know, snapping, name calling, probably cussing him out, um, you know, right? Especially with Peter Ducey's case. For a, you know, anyone who dares question him or you know, mouth off to him, you know, Peter is, is there saying, you know, well, well, you know, what, what were you thinking? That's what he said. I'm surprised Biden didn't snap at him. He seemed very right, uncomfortable. Uh, like someone who is sounding like someone, who, a man who got caught guilty. Um, yeah, not very, not confident at all. Yeah. And so, what does that tell you? Does that tell you that he he knows he's done? That he knows he's busted? That this is going to get worse and not better? Uh, that's what I'm saying. That's what stands out. It just seems because normally he's he's just been this angry old man. Oh and yeah. Just fires fires back, and 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 even before before his president, that's just who who he is. I remember uh, even during the campaign, there was one video of him. Um, I think it was actually like like some nursing home or something. And one and one older man basically questions him about his son and and Hunter, Hunter Biden and all of that. And he just and Joe Biden just starts saying, "Oh yeah, hey fat." He basically starts calling the guy fat that's and right. saying, "Oh yeah, but I can do like four, you know, I can do this many push-ups." And it's like, well, where did that even come from? Yeah. He gets mad. You're right. He does. When somebody challenges him or questions him, even that very often played clip of him uh, back when he was a senator and was running for president. It might have been 88 or something. And, uh, you know, he, he said, I'll put my IQ up against yours any day, pal. And then I graduated with three degrees and I was top, you know, that whole long litany of lies about his educational career. Um, but he does. And, and it's and it's finger pointy and it's in your face. And like he once said about Trump, I'd like to take him behind a school and, and beat the crap out of him. He's a very yeah, aggressive, right, angry right. guy when he's cornered. And you're right. He didn't take that aggressive, angry, cornered approach yesterday. He took the uh, fumble, stumble, rumble, uh, babble, and uh, shuffle his cards uh, approach, which means he was nervous. And I think he really is. I think you're spot on. You're very astute. Yeah, that, that's that's. I don't know. It was just like instant. It just stood out to me. But um, but you know, I I always take classified documents very seriously. And you know, except for when I leave them on the workbench in my garage. Yeah, well, that's only because you weren't unconfused yet. Uh, great call, Derek. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Yeah, we remember this, right? You're a lion, dog face, pony soldier. Just takes people, insults them, challenges them. Uh, I wish I could pull up some more of the clips. I don't have them at my fingertip now of him doing exactly that. But that's what he does. He gets angry. He gets crotchety. He gets how dare you e? If that's a if that's a thing to say, it's not. But he gets how dare you e? That that's his mindset. How dare you talk to me that way? How dare you challenge me? Don't you know that I am your better? Don't you know that I am your superior? Because I am, and he wants everybody to know that. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Always write radio right back. True international average of pressure. Nine fifty-seven now. Always right radio on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Let's go to BJ, who is waiting in North Olmstead. BJ, good morning. Go ahead, sir. Thank you. The, the Speaker of the House could be the next president. The question is, what Speaker? We have a lot of rhinos in the Congress, and they could throw Nancy Pelosi up again. So this is going to be very controversial because if, if if Joe Biden is gone and Kamala is gone. It's going to be a battle between the Speaker of the House and, and, 
and whether his rhinos support him or not. It's going to be a very, very curious time. And I'd like your uh, opinion on that, and I'd like to uh, listen to some of your, speak, uh, uh, your, your guest callers. Thank you. Thank you, BJ. Appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't think we're ever going to get to that point. Uh, you know, again, if for whatever reason they are able to impeach Joe Biden and Kamala Harris takes over, I don't know what kind of excuse or reason or situation would prevent her from finishing out these next two years of the Biden-Harris term uh, to the point where the speaker would even be a consideration. Uh, unless they've got corruption on her as well, I just can't see it happening. Um, if it did, then obviously, you know, uh, yes, Kevin McCarthy would, would be the guy, and yes, uh, they're not going to replace him. Uh, I, I think it's, I think it's a little far-fetched. It's a little far out there, but that's, that's the best answer I can give you. Um, the real question, of course, would be what do the Democrats do in 2024? If they end up, and again, this is all very, very premature. I want to be clear. Nobody's planning that this is, you know, this is happening. We're questioning if it could. But if it if it did, and Kamala Harris is now the quote unquote incumbent, is she the automatic nominee for the Democrat Party? Because it is very very rare for an incumbent to not win the nomination uh, for a second term. It's very rare. If she is the incumbent by way of impeachment of Joe Biden or indictment or whatever happens if he steps down and she assumes to the the, the presidency, she then would have to be the favorite, if not the automatic nominee in 2024. To which I can really only say, I mean, if I'm being honest, maybe I want to retract everything I just said about the terror I would have of a Kamala Harris presidency. And I am terrified of such a thing, but I might be willing to sacrifice it for two years if that means she's the nominee in four years, because then we coast. I could run and beat Kamala Harris. BJ in North Olmstead could run and beat Kamala Harris. If she assumes the presidency now and becomes the automatic default nominee for the Democrat Party in 2024, I think the country would be saved, actually. Back after the news on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420. The answer. Onward, we roll on this free for all Friday edition of Always Right Radio, AM 1420. The answer. Eight minutes after 10 o'clock, 13th morning of the first month, year of our Lord 2023. Not a superstitious guy for the most part, but it is Friday the 13th. I know Thursday the 12th was bad luck for Joe Biden, as we talked about. What will Friday the 13th bring? Uh, what will it bring for all of us? I really, really don't know, but I'm watching very, very closely. Yesterday on uh, Thursday the 12th, we had a great conversation with the guy who um, would be, could be, should be, but is not Speaker of the Ohio House of Representatives, Derek Marin, talked about how everything shook out. We've been following and chronicling the great Speaker steal of 2023 for uh, days and days now. And yesterday, it finally, culmin- it finally culminated with a conversation with Derek Marin himself. And I'll tell you what, he's a better man than I am. 
He is more gracious uh, after what was done to him, and he is more willing to be forgiving, it seems, to at least some, and uh, still has high regard for some of the gang of 22 that stabbed him, the party, and the people of the state of Ohio in the back. Um, but that's you know I think that's why people liked him. That's why people wanted him to be the speaker because he was able uh, to to handle himself in such a way. But joining us now to talk a little bit more about that is a Derek Marin supporter, which means he's one of the forty five, one of the forty five principled members of the Ohio House who um, followed their their promise. They took an oath. Uh, you know, made an agreement, did the Republican caucus back in November to support unanimously whoever won their caucus vote. That person was Derek Merritt. Uh, Tim Barhorst is a freshman in, uh, uh, District 85 and he, uh, he's doing what was supposed to be done and now he's here to tell us the reasons why. Uh, Representative Barhorst, good to have you on our program this morning. How are you? Uh, good morning, Bob. Thanks for your, uh, your time and opportunity to be on your show. My pleasure. Thank you for being here. So um, I don't know how much conversation you've had with Derek Marin personally since everything went down. I know he held a, me- a, a meeting on Wednesday. We talked about that some yesterday. But um, what is your uh, what is your feeling that you're getting from Representative Marin and whether or not the 45 are going to be able to do any work whatsoever on very important legislation with the Gang of 22? Well, first off... Um you know, uh, after we picked him as our leader uh, on November 16th, um, as a freshman, I just assumed it was over, and uh, there was some whispers, but it sounded more like kind of sore losing losing whispers. And uh, I didn't personally take him that serious until uh, I, I I realized that it was. And uh, uh, I asked Derek uh, if he, uh, he had he'd known about those, and he says aware of it. He said, I think I got it under control. Uh, you know, he had a good vote count. He was very organized. And at that point, I didn't even know what his family was going through as far as their their, their personal struggles struggles with their with his father. Um, so, um, you know, you're a freshman. Um, it's not like we have to get in line, or we have, but you do kind of have to know where you're at on the seniority uh, docket. And I, and I knew that these folks uh, that I'd be serving with had uh, have two or three rough. Uh, general assemblies, lots of speakers, lots of speaker votes, and these are all divisive things that, um, you know, tear a party apart. And um, I kind of approached this from the, the start. Um, uh, I'm a financial advisor, and I do uh, consulting um, in the healthcare and employee benefits field. So I, I, those were my priority uh, policy priorities, but my, my personal priority and goal was to try to do what I could do to help unify our party. Because when you have 67 members that is a lot uh, that's a lot to handle a lot to organize but it's a heck of an opportunity so i just was always kind of focused on that so during the speaker race uh, i had known uh, derek for about four or five years before um uh, not at a, at a, a real high level or anything but i did know him and uh, i knew he had a really conservative base and uh, i'm from a, a district with three uh, rural counties we're talking 80 percent indexes here uh, last presidential election our our lowest county had a 78 percent uh index for the for the president of the united states so um i i just knew he was conservative and um as the speaker race was developing i i talked to all the speakers and uh you just get to know them all as you go through and i've really been quite amazed with uh speaker Marin uh during this process because everybody wants to paint somebody as a, you know, a narrative that makes them look in a better light when we're running through this process. And uh, I found him to be very humble the night he won. Um, I felt um, there was zero gloating, and uh, I know he was talking to members uh, that, that I had already known a, uh, a bit in the past. So, 
he, I think he was doing everything he could do um, and realizing what he had to balance. It, you know, he was, I think he was doing all he could do. So yeah. um, I've really got to know him better as we go through here. And when he's running our uh, our meeting the, the other day, I saw a man that uh, can look himself in the mirror. He can, um, he's very focused again. He's back to his policy initiatives. And I feel like that's, that's where he's at. And he's, he's, he's got a, good heart and good intention here and we're going to just have to see uh how yeah. we can do and I got, re- I, unify this this party and get some done i got that sense from him yesterday too and uh in what was about a 25 minute conversation he was very sincere he was very honest very open and i feel uh i feel his heart is in the right place as well we're talking to representative tim barhorst he is a freshman in the ohio house of representatives and as such i want to ask you a question this is not personal don't take it that way but uh, because you're a freshman um, you don't have a long-standing working relationship with other members of the House who have been there a while. My reason for saying that is, <clears throat> if you heard the whispers and rumbles very, very early on after that vote on November 16th, I- I'm assuming they were being relatively open about it, that the whispers weren't exactly hushed. If, uh, if, if I would, if My point is, if I was going to try to like work on establishing a coup to undo the vote that was just done and stop Derek Marin and get Jason Stevens in there, I wouldn't be whispering it loud enough for a freshman that I don't know if I can trust to hear. So that's kind of what, where I'm going with this. Again, that's not a personal thing. It's just you're a new guy. They don't know if you're, you know, what side you're on. They don't know what your, um, you know, what your character is all about yet. I would feel like they would want to be a hell of a lot more quiet about something as dramatic as going behind the back of the, uh, you know, of the caucus, uh, and, and particularly of the speaker elect to undermine him. And if you heard about it, they, they probably weren't hiding it very well. Yeah. And I think, um, I had to really work through this mentally and with some, some advisors that I trust and know that, you know, have been around a, a while to, to understand how these things go. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel, I felt the whispers initially were just people positioning themselves to get committee assignments. Just, you know, you know, he who's quiet gets nothing. So you have to make a little bit of noise in this, 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 uh, this situation, I think. And I, I just discounted it as that until I, I, I'd realized it was much more serious. Cause, uh, you know, there are a lot of members, and there's only so many vice chairmanships and chairmanships. I just thought it was a, about that. And um, I, I, I'm i a busy guy and trying to get myself organized and raise my son, and I mm-hmm. I kind of disengaged from it, just figuring that we would be having Derek Marin at speaker, and I was I was I gave him my, my committee uh, uh, requests and was going to let the process play out because um, a speaker cannot give a committee assignment out until he's officially the speaker. And uh, we had to do that on the floor. So I, right. I, I just had a level of patience and confidence, and I, I, I was just going to hang there with my word. And when I had to hit the button, I was going to hit the button on the floor my first day, January 3rd. That's that's what I did. Okay. Um, so tell me, we're talking with Tim Barr's freshman rep, uh, representative in the Ohio House. Um, we're talking about the great speaker steal of 2023. So let's move from Derek Marin to the new speaker. Since you were one of the 45 and you uh, followed your oath and your, your caucus has promised to support uh, the guy who won the vote, which was Derek Marin, what kind of a relationship do you have, if any at all, right now uh, with Jason Stevens? Um, my relationship has not, not really started yet. Uh, they've reached out to me once or twice to get on their calendar to talk about what I my committee uh, requests would be and such. And uh, um, I've been unable to do that um, 
when you don't have session or day scheduled and your calendars, you know, I live an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes outside of Columbus. I, I'm not there every day. So I, uh, I have that scheduled on Wednesday, uh, I think at noon to, uh, let him know my, my policy priorities and thus the committees I'd, I'd like to serve on. Do you feel like though you'll have a, an open and trusting relationship with Jason Stevens? And quite frankly, you know, with your colleague, John Cross, you know, in your district, I mean, I mean, the the, the the gang of 22, as many of us have taken to calling them, have really called into to question their own character. They went behind the back of Derek Maron and the caucus itself. They reached out to and made agreements with Democrats to bring them over to support Jason Stevens. So I'm just kind of, I'm wondering, do you think you will be able to have a trusting, professional relationship with your colleagues, including those closest to you? I mean, I want to, and... I've done nothing to violate the trust, so we'll have to wait and see. Uh, uh, Representative Cross and I do share uh, a split county in our district. It's Logan County. He has the northern part, which has uh, Indian Lake in there, and they, they have some um, some issues with their lake that, that need need addressed. Uh, the county, Logan County, has the um, same issues as other rural counties with infrastructure. Uh, they got a gas desert. They, they're not positioned for growth unless we get some infrastructure in there. So him and I have to work hard for that that county and i will do that and i commit to that i am very disappointed that we're in this position because he was one of those that did that but um yeah have you discussed it with him have you had it i mean considering you're so close like i said sharing the county he's 83 you're 85 i mean have you talked about that with him or is that not something you're you're interested in having a conversation on? he's asked me to go to lunch and uh, i i did have meetings on my calendar and i haven't done that yet um I'm not ready just yet. I was a little emotional when this happened, and I I don't like um, firing off when I'm that way. So I uh, I'm, I'm I'm to a point now where I can I can have a, a good conversation and 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 talk about policy and priorities and specific um, mm-hmm. district issues. So, uh, but no, I have not done that as yet. Representative Barr, since you are a freshman and since you supported Derek Marin, I'm going to assume I know your positions on the most important issues, but maybe just tell us. What what are the most important issues, pieces of legislation that have been sitting there that you are very interested in getting passed and supported or legislative issues that you want to be kill you want to kill uh that are still sitting there and uh you know from the from the last session and do you have any new legislation that you're inter- interested in proposing because we can talk about the backpack bill we can talk about the uh you know the abortion and right to life issues we can talk about uh you know saving women's sports uh, congressional districts being drawn the constitution whether or not it should be 60% or 50% to amend the constitution all these things are on the table in front of you as you walk in as a freshman so which of these are the most important to you well let's pull them apart a little bit into uh you know uh, policy priorities and uh and our social uh, our, our backbone of our you know our life our lives that we want, want to lead and the morals we want um my mother's a single issue voter she's a, a right to life member mm-hmm. um i live in a german catholic community where i mean you if you drove around my town you'd see You'd see sign after sign after sign about save lives. So this is something that it has to be in you to to agree with and support. Or why would you even run for this position? So um, that's the base and the foundation over over here. What what my members need and what I believe that we have to we have to protect life. Um, Second Amendment is very very serious and a, and a real issue of folks that are always uh, distrustful of what what big government what 
liberal progressives are, are trying to do with with the Second Amendment. We have to protect that. So when when, when you get into a, a situation where you're running in a rural district, if if these things don't align, just go home. Don't even waste your time. Don't do it. So I, I gotta I gotta really concentrate on that. And we we have, and if you look at some of the school ratings in my area, the state, my district, we have. Uh, you take the top 50 rated schools, you're going to see a cluster of them all right in in here in my area and in my district. And this is what they want to protect. This is what they want to keep. And this is what we're we're local. We're small local communities, and these are our our, our areas of pride. Um, and um, another area in our another prideful area is, is our our small town. Uh, small school sports uh, just went to uh, one of our top two teams girls game last night uh, Fort Lamy versus Rushi and uh, these teams are the ones that go to Columbus the state all the time and and they want our girls to play against girls we don't right. we don't understand why this is even a debate I mean it, it some of these things are back here we're like we're baffled of why we even have to talk about this so these are the things that are most important to me and my uh, my constituents and then then, then, then after you get get that priority uh, in alignment with with what you have to do and why you're going to Columbus, then you can start working on areas of expertise that you have policy experience in that you you believe you think are wrong. And I've been involved. The reason I'm even in politics is the first time I've been elected to anything. I'm not. I've never been a local official. I, I've 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 participated in my industry groups, and um, I really intensified my interest in politics when the Obamacare. Um, uh, legislation was going through, and I was obviously against that. And what we've seen is just a mass consolidation of the healthcare complex and um, PBMs and drug companies. And it now touches 26% of Ohio's GDP and total economy. Um, is that sustainable? I think we have to have a big, large conversation about that and any levels of uh, transparency and uh, willingness for us to uh, improve this system. Uh, because really, like this was a small takeover that the Democrats got involved in on the grand scheme. Right. The big one is the next time they get full-blown control in Washington, D.C., we'll just be on a single-payer uh, universal health care system, just like many of the big countries are, ration care, poor quality. You're right. Um, it, You're right. It'll, it'll ration care, and, so, uh, you know, death the, panels, the, and like they're doing up in Canada right now. They're literally pushing euthanasia as the best, uh, you know, the best way to, to manage people's quote-unquote care and to manage their, their costs as well because that's how they have it when you, when you have a single-payer system. Um, to Representative Barrows, out of time. I, I, I've got to run here, but I, I want to th- say thank you for coming on. It's great to have a first conversation with you. I hope we can do this on a semi-regular basis, particularly when there are matters of great importance to uh, the people of Ohio. And we see how things are going between uh, you know, the 45 members of uh, the Republican majority that I think we can trust and the 22 that are now Democrats, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we'll see if they can win back my trust and work with you, and, uh, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Absolutely, and, and just one one closing comment. Um, don't focus just on the ones that did us wrong. Uh, focus on the ones that did the right thing. I'm part of a really amazing freshman class that uh, hasn't really rolled over, and I think that's one of the frustrations a lot of folks that we're having that we're in all levels of the speaker race. We uh, we're all pretty independent, very high qualified, and uh, high character folks. And I, I want you to I want you to know know that. And uh, I I hope to serve with all these folks for eight years and get a lot done for Ohio. Well, we do know it, and we're counting on you guys to be exactly that, because uh, we're going to need you. Uh, Representative Tim Barhorse, thanks, thanks so much for the time. All right, there's uh, Tim Barhorse with his thoughts on the Speaker's Deal of 2023. We're covering it all from stem to stern. It's 1024, time out, right back. Always right radio, AM 1420, the answer.
1027, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, I've been busy the last couple of days shooting the first two episodes of uh, a new television show that I'm going to be hosting for the True Blue Factual Streaming Channel. Uh, if you have not yet downloaded that, I, I urge you to do so, and I urge you to subscribe. It's four ninety nine a month. That's like a quarter of the cost of Netflix. You're going to see a massive library of documentaries, true crime, true stories, not to mention original programming, takedown with Chris Hansen. Remember when Chris Hansen used to do To Catch a Predator on NBC? He's still catching predators, but now it's with us at True Blue uh, Factual Streaming Network, uh, or channel, I should say. It's called Takedown with Chris Hansen. He's also doing another program called True Crime Nation. I'm hosting a program called True Blue Daily as uh, we bring you uh, interviews, commentary, uh, previews of the documentaries, conversation with Chris Hansen. Sheriff David Clark is going to be hosting a new show on True Blue. It's going to be called Police in the Line of Fire with Sheriff David Clark. I'll be interviewing David Clark on a regular basis for these things, so I'm really excited about it. We've got two shows uh, shot the last couple of days. It's going to be launching. My show is going to be launching maybe next week, maybe the week after. We're getting close. Uh, but I'm so excited about the new uh, the new TV venture that I'm involved in, and I would love for you to be a part of it, too. Go to True Blue. Look for on your app store or look on your uh, smart TV or wherever. Go to True Blue. Look for True. It's T-R-U-B-L-U. There's no E's, just so you know. Make it easy. True, T-R-U-B-L-U. Download it. Subscribe to it. Uh, and uh, and let me know what you think of it. Uh, and we're going to be taking questions from people as well. Not live. It won't be a call-in thing, but on True Blue Daily, my program, we'll be taking questions online. We'll be answering questions about some of the shows, some of the movies, some of the comments, some of my commentary, some of the interviews I'm conducting with directors of these documentaries. It's very fascinating stuff. Yesterday I interviewed uh, uh, the director of a movie that came out, uh, a documentary movie called Surviving Sandy Hook. There was a deep dive into the extraordinary circumstances, I guess, in Sandy Hook after the terrible, uh, you know, mass shooting there in 2012 uh, in Newtown, Connecticut. Uh, I talked to the director of that. I interviewed the director of a movie about race relations in South Carolina, Black Beach, White Beach, which is another fascinating look. Interviewing the director of White Boy, the story of White Boy Rick. Um, one of the, the longest held nonviolent juvenile offender in the history of the state of Michigan. You probably know that story, but you might not know that story. We cover that story, and you can watch that documentary. It's all on True Blue, and I'm very excited to be a part of it. So I hope you'll download it. I hope you'll subscribe to it. Again, it's cheap. It's $4.99 a month. I mean, that's, what, a cup of coffee uh, at, a, at, a, at a premium place? Uh, but get it at, uh, on your app stores. True Blue, T-R-U-B-L-U, True Blue. And look for my show, True Blue Daily, which should be launched very, very soon. We're back after the news. Bottom of the hour news coming up. Christina Hagen, former Ohio State representative, is going to join us with some thoughts on Document uh, Gate, if you will. Uh, what might bring down Joe Biden? We'll talk about that and a little bit more coming up on Always Right Radio. Informed among the uninformed. Always write radio with Bob France on The Answer. That is exactly who we are. That is exactly what we are. Good morning. Appreciate you being a part of the program. Thanks again to Representative Barhorse for joining us. So Joe Biden keeps classified documents 
in his garage next to the Pennzoil and I don't know in between the uh, the uh, the vice and uh, you know the bench vice and and the pliers I don't know uh, but it's a strange place to keep classified documents relating to national issues of great importance next to his classic Corvette apparently is the way it's done um, kind of begs the question that was asked by Peter Ducey yesterday classified material next to your Corvette what were you thinking what were you thinking and better than the question which is just all kinds of hardcore gutsy and that's not the word i want to use here let's just say he's got a set of brass ones for that asking the sitting president what were you thinking (laughs) instead of sir can you explain or can you tell us what happened here what were you thinking better than that question was the answer let me uh i'm going to get a chance to speak on all this god willing soon but as i said earlier this week people and by the way my corvette's in a lock garage Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. Oh, oh. you've taken all the necessary steps to secure national classified secrets. You got them locked in your garage. At least the the lock is on. So, uh, yeah, I guess all's good now. Nothing to see here. Let's move on. Uh, let's get the uh, opinion now of one of my favorite commentators. She is That's why she's our weekly commentator on Fridays. She is a former Ohio State representative. She sits on the Ohio Elections Commission now, and she is Christina Hagan, joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Christina. How are you? Good morning. I, um, I'm good. I'm relishing the remarks of Ducey, just appreciating his <laughs> candor, his directness. And quite frankly, I mean, the president does need to be grabbed by the collar and shaken. I mean, this guy is not bright. Um, To say what he said, you know, a matter of months ago on 60 Minutes about Donald Trump and his level of irresponsibility and just condemning him and attacking him and the actual um, intergovernmental raid and um, directives to attack him and politicize our bodies of government for purposes of exploiting another party, then to play Joe Cool, if you will, about having these documents. Yeah. in your personal garage next year. They're by the Corvette. They're fine, man. Well, Don't you know, here's, questions. Here's, it's all here's, good. Here's a little perspective, <laughs> Christina. Do um, At the Hagen family household, do you guys keep your personal bank records, bank statements, passwords to all of your online accounts you know sensitive what what might call what one might call personal classified information in a box in the garage next to the car do you would you feel secure if that's where you kept all your stuff christina no no i wouldn't now i will say uh my husband is of a different sort and he brought home like a 300 pound filing cabinet that is fireproof that happens to be in our garage and i dare to say it would be a better place to store those documents that Joe Biden had been in the box next to his Corvette in his garage. But I have a, I I have a sense that we probably have a more secure home here in Northeast Ohio than he has. Um, but it is, it's remarkable that anybody would let him have these documents anywhere. It's remarkable that he's the president, um, that an Ivy League school would even have his name on it anywhere, and that these documents could be anywhere. Yeah. Um, but I think what's a guy who finished seventy sixth in his law school class of eighty five uh, has exactly. got his name on an Ivy League school and uh, in an office building. Christine, I want to throw two two theories that are popular out there right now. 
uh, at you and tell me which one you think is more likely or go off the board and say neither one of those things. One says that this is their way to get Trump. They can't go and indict Donald Trump. Merrick Garland can't uh, recommend the indictment of Donald Trump uh, on any of these charges having to do with his classified documentation or anything else because it will look like pure uh, po- uh, partisan politics, which is what it would be. But if they indict their own guy first, now open season on Trump. We take the law seriously no matter who it is. No one is above the law, not Democrat nor Republican. The other one is they just want to get rid of Biden, period. Uh, that this would uh, force his resignation or force him to step down or at least, at the very least, bare minimum, not run for re-election because they want to move on from what would be at the time of the new election an 82-year-old cognitively declining man. Um, so is it a matter of trying to get Trump? Is it a matter of trying to boot Biden? Or is there something behind door number three that you think? Yeah, you know, it's hard for me to speculate um, about that which is conducted by evil minds. Um, because I just simply don't jive with them on their rationale or how they... Uh-oh. Some disconnection happened. Apparently, um, Big Brother, uh, a.k.a. Big Government, didn't like the question or the answer that was coming. No, I'm kidding, of course, about that. Maybe. A little bit, sort of. But those are the kind of two things people are asking. Because, and, the, and, of course, the other one could be none of the above. It could be just gross incompetence on the part of a very, very... Uh, you know, again, you know, I, I think she's right when she says he's not very smart, a mentally challenged guy. Um, and, and the worst part about it is he stopped being vice president, you know, back in 2017. He stopped being president, vice president in January of 2017, which means he wasn't even in the cognitively declining stage then that he is today. And, and, and he took those things with him and, and, park them wherever he parked them, next to the car, in the pen library, or in the pen offices, or whatever the case might be. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that, would in, that would indicate intent, not just incompetence, not just, you know, cognitive issues. Do we have Christina back yet? Our whole phone system died. That's why it went to the uh, old-sounding busy signal. How about that? Uh, okay, yeah, it's so weird. Apparently, every line just went dead, and now are they back? Okay, now they're back on, I'm being told. I apologize. We're doing this in real time. Uh, the middle of the conversation with Christina Hagen, it just dropped, and we got one of the old-fashioned busy signals that you don't get anymore because calls that don't get answered go straight to the voicemail person. So uh, let me know when we do have her back. And uh, Oh, we do. Okay, Christina Hagen, are you there? Yeah, I am. I was beginning to wonder if maybe you didn't like what I was saying or the Biden administration didn't like what I was <laughs> that, saying. That's what or... I said. That's what I said when I got that busy signal that it just cut you off. I said, big brother or big government doesn't like what you're about to say. Uh, but I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Uh, let's go back to it now. Um, we were, we were. Uh, in fact, I can't remember where you left off in the answer where I asked you whether it was uh, door number one, two, or three. Yeah, you know, it could be any combination of all of the above, right? I mean, we don't have all the details yet, but we do know that these documents have been moved. They've been um, concealing their existence, although they were fully aware of them before the midterm elections. What a shocking, um, reoccurring uh, situation where there was information about the Biden family that was withheld for political gain. I know that we're all falling out of our chairs on this, um, but the reality is they could very well tr- be trying to get rid of him um, or just uh, show us how much they can have a double standard that does not apply to their party that applies to ours. I will be looking forward to, I'm sure everyone else will, 
um, Jim Jordan's review of this and many other things in a transparent yeah. and intentional fashion. Um, but yeah, I'm sure they've the, loved the fact that they sat on it. Dead wait for them. You mentioned this uh, a little bit there. Um, I think it was November 2nd, they said, is when the first batch was discovered. The election was November 8th. The midterm election was November 8th. And they sat on this, and it did not get revealed until now, which is eerily similar, of course, to that Biden laptop that we talked about from 2020. Uh, it was a few yeah, weeks before the, the election. They could have, they, it, could have, it could have changed the outcome of the election and literally changed the course of history if that had been uh, allowed to be presented to the American people. And I think this could have changed the course of the uh, of the outcome of the midterms in which the Democrats actually increased the seat in the Senate uh, and and, you know, suppressing this type of damning and damaging information on Democrats is becoming standard for them. Yeah, this is a reoccurring theme across all fronts. Mm-hmm. They want Americans to not only be undereducated on reality, but misinformed. You know, there, there's no need for you to know that our president did the exact same things that our government was attacking our previous president over under um, an extreme uh, liberal-led magna- or magnifying glass for all to see at his home residence, which was by far more secure situation inside his home rather than his garage, an attachment to his home next to his vehicle. Um, and you know, people want to say it's apples to oranges. It is not. Um, it absolutely is. There it goes again. There it goes again. Uh, there's obviously some kind of a tech issue here. Uh, the phones are just not working, uh, or at least not working consistently and steadily. So we're having uh, breakups there. And that's uh, going to bother me because I've got another interview scheduled coming up after this one at 1110. And I want to take some of your phone calls uh, this morning. So we're going to do our best to fix that. We'll take a time out here since we had one coming anyway. Uh, we'll see if we can get the phones restored so we can continue the chat with Christina Hagen. We'll see if we can continue the chat with you. Otherwise, I'm going to have to just dazzle you with the extraordinary amounts of other information that I've got to share with you this morning. And there is plenty outside of Document Gate that is now enveloping the Biden administration. So we'll see where the... Uh, Phone system takes us next on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. All right, well, we're going to roll the dice here and see what happens. If we get cut off a third time, then we know we've got some serious karma working against us here. But the phones are back up now, so let's bring Christina Hagen back on for the third shot. Third time's a charm, they say sometimes, Christina. What do you think? Can we make it happen? Yeah, they do. And you said uh, third time's a charm. I'm Irish. Like, everything should be working to our advantage. Um, <laughs> but I will say, you know, the, the enemy is always hard at work to um, cover up the truth. And these are very basic truths. We're not talking about rocket science level information here. No. We're talking about basic truth and contrast between a sitting president, a former president, and the reality of our um, bodies of government and institutions of government and Sadly, that is not something that the enemy wants exposed, regardless of how simple it is. No, you're exactly right. Well, to try to pick up where you were left off, where you left off there, you were in the middle of an answer about the um, the fact that this seems to be a habit for them. This is standard operating procedure for them. If something damning for Democrats comes up, you bury it, you stifle it, you kill it uh, until uh, after the election or until after a more opportune time uh, comes, and uh, and then you release it when when the damage will be minimized. And I think that's where you were. Yeah, I think it's just sad. We're at a place where the inconsistency isn't jarring anymore. It's no longer alarming or surprising or anything that we haven't come to expect. 
um, as conservatives, as Americans, who care about truth and transparency. And you think about the way the existing president treated the former president as some type of scoundrel, worthless, evil, terrible, evildoer who kept these documents um, in his personal home office, yet he had his documents in the garage at Penn State, wherever, um, but certainly not under lock and key, certainly not in the right place. They were not declassified by him to be able to be in those places for those purposes. Um, and, you know, you also played dumb about, oh, I don't, I don't know anything about that. I think he's fully aware, um, although he is not of the brightest crayon in the box. He is obviously fully aware. Uh, but, Bob, you know, I've told you three times that I think about this. I'm not sure if anyone's hearing me this round. Um, but, it, you know, it is remarkable to me that this is where we are in 2023 in the United States of America. I mean, we have governments like the or the governor of New Jersey trying to deploy a um, indoctrination program to teach children as young as kindergarten how to perceive and take in news. Um, across the country, this is not a unique theme that certain things are important, other things are not. Look away. Um, thankfully, we have brave new senators like J.D. Vance who are pushing the question within the United States Senate about what's happening in Ukraine, where is the spending going, how is it being used. At the very least, we need to be auditing the information instead of just accepting things on their surface. Obviously, we have a president of the United States who had information found the week before midterms, and there wasn't even a single peep. I mean, the fact that we're finding this out in a whole new year is majorly disturbing. Um, if that were President uh, Trump, it would have been being made up and fabricated four years in advance of the election, let alone a week before. That would have been breaking urgent news, never left nor TV or any prompt in front of you until you cast your vote. Uh, but for this family, they seem to have a free pass, and it is true, and the same with Democrats. I mean, we're not hearing really much about the fact that over 200 Democrats who supposedly lead our country um, voted for infanticide this week. They voted against the protecting of born alive babies after an abortion. But we don't hear much about that evil. We don't hear about the evil that they're doing because that is all swept under the rug. Christina, I want to ask you one final question about this. Um, If Joe Biden ends up through this investigation by the special counsel, let's just for the sake of discussion, hypothetically, it's very severe. Maybe there's even more. Maybe there's a third batch, a fourth batch, and they're all over the place. And the scandal becomes so big that he steps down. That's just, again, this is just talk. What kind of a state is this country in with President Harris? And, <laughs> and, and, and does the prospect of a President Harris being the incumbent in 2024 and thus the favorite uh, to be the nominee for the Democrats again in 2024. What what does that? How does that make you feel? It makes me feel like their bench is incredibly short. <laughs> if if President um, President Biden were to be gone and Harris were to be elevated, I mean, I don't think people could be more discouraged than a Biden presidency unless it was a Harris presidency. So, unless Republicans continue to screw up everything, which seems to be um, imminent and evident that they are able to do that. Uh, there's no way that we don't beat her unless there is complete and utter election fraud. Um, I don't know how she recovers every blunder that she's ever made every time she's opened her mouth. Um, just the level of stupidity that I witness on a daily basis coming from her accounts. I mean, even just this week, her and Ocasio-Cortez um, 
tweeting and uh, yelping about how people shouldn't have gas stoves, yet we have imagery of them cooking on gas stoves for uh, former political ops. So these people are not serious people, um, but it should be alarming to us all as Americans that somebody that is that um, unintelligent, disconnected, unaware of anything on an international basis, unaware of anything happening in her own front yard when illegal immigrants that are being released into our country are being bused to her own front yard, yet she's unwilling to act on the one singular assignment that she has received in her time as vice president. This is not a serious person, um, but if the Democrat Party rallies around her, I mean, who, who else? I mean, Pete Buttigieg, a uh, former mayor who was unemployed and unworking before he was elevated to a cabinet-level position where we have trains that are off the road for 24 to 36 hours without any explanation. I mean, who else do they have from a functional intelligence point? They have no one. But they will elevate her for all of the wrong reasons, the race card, the female card. They'll try to do what they always do if she is the next bump. But... Republicans have a golden opportunity if we just seize it and if we act with conviction and if we lead with truth. Christina Hagan uh, got it through on the third try. It was a charm. It worked. <laughs> we got all the information we wanted and terrific analysis indeed every step of the way. It'll be interesting to follow where this goes over the course of the next several days. Obviously, we will ask you for an update on that uh, next uh, Friday. But, Christina, thank you for the time today. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Absolutely, you too, Bob. Thank you. Thank you so much. God bless. 1057. That'll take us up to the news, I believe. Uh, and I do have an opportunity to hear from you now that the phones appear to be back working again. We're also going to talk about self-security. We're going to talk about gun control. We're going to talk about your rights because uh, the latest, latest is the state of Illinois to pass a ban on what they call assault weapons, even though there is a very general-sounding term and really doesn't have a defined uh, or doesn't have a true definition. But we're going to talk about it. Larry Correa wrote a book, In Defense of the Second Amendment, that we're going to talk uh, to Larry about next on AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Friend on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway, eight minutes past 11 o'clock on this Friday, a free-for-all Friday. But yes, we do have a lot of people we've been talking to about some very important information. It's the 13th morning of the first month. Oh, maybe that explains it. 
13th morning, first month, year of our Lord 2023. Maybe that's why the phones all went out in the last segment. Two times, uh, the phone system went totally dead. Not a single line. The whole phone system went dead. Maybe it's a Friday the 13th thing kicking in. I don't know. So every day is Friday the 13th in Chicago. Every day is a bad day. Because every day is uh, a day you are very, very likely to be murdered. Uh, I know that sounds a little crazy, but in January, this is what, January 13th, 69 people have been shot and wounded in the city of Chicago alone just this year. 16 have been shot and killed. That's a grand total of 85 people have been shot in January just in Chicago alone. The final totals in the year of uh, 2022, there were 3,602 people shot. 665 of them fatally just in the city of Chicago. It's a tremendous website. I've told you before. You should check it out. It's called HeyJackass.com, illustrating Chicago values. It keeps track of every single metric that there is on gun crimes in the city of Chicago. Why do we care about that? Because Chicago is the poster child for the ineffectiveness of gun control laws. Chicago has one of the most restrictive gun control laws in America, and it is a shooting gallery there. Gun control doesn't work. And in response to all of that, here you are. The state of Illinois this week became the ninth state to ban what they are calling assault weapons. What many others might call more accurately semi-automatic weapons, which essentially is, well, every weapon considering semi-automatic means one round is dispensed with every pull of the trigger. But that doesn't matter. Virtue signaling and uh, appealing to the left-wing base and the ongoing assault on guns is what they are being driven by. Joining us now to talk about this and react to it, who's written an entire book about this, in defense of the Second Amendment, is Larry Correa. Larry Correa is a best-selling novelist. Famous for his Monster Hunter series. He's a popular blogger. He writes about Second Amendment rights. And he's got a famous essay that went viral uh, online called An Opinion on Gun Control. He's in a pretty unique position to discuss this latest attack on gun rights. Now on AM 1420, The Answer. Larry Correa, good morning. Good to have you. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. So uh, kind of interesting, right? The, uh, the state of Illinois has said, boy, gun control has worked so well in our biggest city, one of the biggest cities in America, Chicago. Let's expand gun control to the rest of the state by banning, quote, unquote, assault weapons. What's your reaction? I think it's ridiculous. I, um, so I, I wrote this book at the end of last year, and uh, so the, before they passed this law, so obviously I couldn't talk about this specific law. But uh, looking at it this week, it's, it's the same old stuff that they've done before. It's the same tired proposals they always have. Um, it, none of it works. None of it makes a lick of sense. And I am actually really happy to see uh, two things about this. Uh, first off is that most of the sheriffs now in Illinois and the counties in Illinois are saying that they're not going to prosecute people for this. They're not going to enforce it. Um, they're they're kind of doing like the uh, sanctuary cities did with immigration or the... Uh, marijuana legalization people did where they're just ignoring the law in a lot of jurisdictions. I think we're up to like 67 sheriffs as of this morning was last I heard. That's pretty um, amazing. And it is, and, and it's Illinois. So, so most of the state is sane outside of Chicago. And then the other thing is uh, it's going to go to court. Um, there are already lawsuits being written, um, being put together, being filed. Uh, I know that some are in the works already from some of the, uh, the, the really good pro-gun uh, rights organizations are, are putting stuff together. Um, I don't think any of those have been filed yet because this has been so quick. And uh, 
with recent Supreme Court decisions, this law is, is going to lose. But the bad thing is it's um, people are going to get rolled up. They're going to get in trouble in the meantime as it works its way through the courts. Yeah. Yeah, no question about it. Um, we're talking to Larry Correa. Larry's new book is In Defense of the Second Amendment. It actually comes out in about a week and a half on January 24th. Uh, you can pre-order it now, and you should. It's from Regnery Publishing. Larry, um, yesterday I interviewed uh, for a TV program project that I'm doing. I interviewed the uh, filmmaker, a director of a movie called uh, Surviving Sandy Hook. And we discussed, of course, the fact that Sandy Hook kind of became the epicenter of the gun control debate, even though we've had a number of school shootings since then, sad to say, obviously. But um, the, the, the community there, of course, is embroiled in the gun control conversation because of what happened there in, uh, in 2012. Uh, since then, of course, we've seen, uh, obviously, the tragedy in San Antonio, Texas, and some other places. Everybody says, what are we going to do to protect our kids? If we don't care about our kids, well, then, you know, uh, what does that say about us? And the answer to protecting the kids, according to them, is to ban guns for everybody. Your answer to that is the same as my answer to that, and that is, no, how about we protect the kids with armed staff? Uh, That doesn't mean mandatory that with your teaching license you get a CCW. doesn't mean you have to carry but you open the opportunity for staff, whether they be teachers or other staff, to carry on campus so that we you know, we protect our kids in the same way we protect our money at the banks, in the same way we protect our football fans at stadiums, the same way we protect our judges and attorneys and witnesses in courtrooms with armed security personnel, right? Is that, is that a crazy idea? No, not at all, because here in Utah, uh, where, where I, li- I live in Utah, and this is where I was a concealed weapons instructor and a firearms instructor here, uh, we have had guns allowed in school, concealed carry. If you have a valid concealed weapons permit, you are allowed to carry a gun in school. If you're a teacher, um, you know, principal, janitor, it doesn't matter. If you have a valid Utah concealed weapons permit, you were able to carry guns in school. And uh, we had this, uh, we've had this for quite a long time. And all the horrible things that people predict uh, don't seem to happen here. We've also got instances where there have been violent uh, incidents that could have spiraled out of control that were stopped by an armed um, school employee or parent. Uh, I go into some of them in the book. And so we've seen that this is, it, it does work. And <clears throat> I go into this quite a bit. Concealed carry is kind of it's the principle of defense in depth. Um, it's not the be-all, end-all. It's just like your car has, you know, you have brakes, you have turn signals, but you also have a seat belt in case, you know, those other layers of defense fail. Mm-hmm. And you're just putting in another speed bump here. So if you have armed uh, citizens at school and something horrible happens, they might stop it or slow it down uh, until more, uh, right? And if you count only on the state, if you only have one layer of defense, that's it. Like you've disarmed everybody else. You've taken away every other way to defend yourself. And all you're going to do is wait for the state. You could wind up with something like Uvalde, where you had a huge force of police staged there doing nothing, waiting, paralyzed. And 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 you're going to tell me, these people tell me that, well, we have to have guns in school. We can't have teachers with guns in school. You know, we're teachers, we're not, you know, we're not soldiers. I don't expect you to be. Um, it should be voluntary, it shouldn't be mandatory. But I guarantee, because back when I was teaching CCW, this is what I saw. I used to teach teachers for free, and I would teach anybody who was a student uh, at a university or a employee at a college or a, a school. 
And if you wanted to take your kids to go up as class, I'd come, I would teach it for you for free. And what I discovered was that at any given school, anywhere in the state, we always had at least a handful of people who would carry guns anyway because they wanted to. And they usually had the proper mindset. A lot of them had quite a bit of extensive training. Uh, a bunch of them were veterans. Uh, we had a lot of combat vets. I had one school where uh, the principal went out and he found a, like three other teachers and I believe a janitor. Uh, and they all came in together to get trained so they could carry guns in school because they had had an incident the week before um, where their school resource officer turned up AWOL. He was just not there. They had a bad thing happen. They had a kid who was armed. And uh, the, the cop that was stationed there just wasn't there. And they had to handle it with no weapons. And so the uh, principal gathered a couple guys. I believe the janitor was an uh, Iraq vet, um, wow. combat arms. And so, I mean, very capable people, very intelligent, responsible people who just want to be able to take care of themselves. And so it's just adding more layers of defense and depth. But uh, when I suggest this to people, uh, of course, they freak out with horror stories, but Utah disproves those horror stories because we've been doing this for a very long time, and, and we have not had those horror stories happen. One of the um, all right, we're talking to Larry Correa. Larry is the author of a new book called "In Defense of the Second Amendment." We're uh, we're talking about this because the book's coming out, but also just in reaction to more and more of the gun control or gun grabs by uh, the American left. Um, a lot of the gun control uh, enthusiasts which means the anti-Second Amendment crew, uh, they're looking at a terrible incident that happened last week in which a six-year-old <clears throat> somehow brought a gun to school and shot uh, shot their teacher. Uh, don't know the specifics. I do know that it's a strange thing to see a newscast that says the six-year-old was taken into custody. Well, where do you take a six-year-old into custody? It's impossible to think of that way. And these individuals are using that terrible tragedy. And again, I don't know the circumstances under which that, that child got a hold of the gun, but they're saying if you put guns in school, even if you have them in the hands of quote-unquote trained staff, if guns in school are there, there is a chance that a kid is going to get their hands on one. And if a kid gets their hand on one, well, you just saw what happened. How do we respond to that? Well, as far as like uh, the kid getting a gun from home is, is one thing, whereas getting a gun off a person concealed carrying at the school is a different thing. Uh, so tackle them both. I, I do go into the book uh, as far as responsible gun ownership. I'm trying to get new people, fence sitters, that kind of thing involved in this. I go into you know securing your firearms and what you do if you have kids and, and access to people who should and should not have them. I go into teaching your kids responsibility and removing that mystery. Um, and, and we go into that. But as far as getting the gun from a person carrying that's the beautiful part about concealed carry is if they're doing it correctly, you don't know they have a gun to try to take it to begin with. Um, that's another thing that most uh, people who carry guns should learn about and should get some training on is weapon retention. If someone does try to take your firearm, if they do know you have it. Um, if I may, Larry, let me let me jump in just so you can address this as part of this answer. I remember from a few years ago, and, and, uh, and I just looked it up, it was 2018, so five years ago, February of 2018, uh, down in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, a school resource officer left her loaded handgun in a faculty restroom uh, at an elementary school there. So it, it, it's one thing to have weapon retention training, like you're talking about, like somebody disarming you. But then there's absent-mindedness and things like that. Somebody, you know, took the gun off of their holster or whatever, so they could use the restroom. You know, they probably put it on the back of the toilet or put it on the sink or whatever it might be. An absent, an absent-minded thing. The human mistake, basically. 
The left loves this. They jump on things like this to say, aha, that's why this is a trained officer. It's a security officer, and they still did this. They put everybody's life in jeopardy by leaving that weapon on the sink in the bathroom. So, again, I just want you to cover all of that. Sure thing. The ironic thing about that is the same people who say that only law enforcement is professional enough to uh, carry a weapon in public, um, (laughs) you have these incidences where it's someone who's mandated to carry a gun. They don't take it serious because it's part of their job. It's just mandatory. they got to do it. They get sloppy. They get lazy. They do stupid things like that. Um, I've seen a lot more incidences where it's professional police uh, do stuff like that than I have when it's uh, regular citizens. Now, that's one thing, too, is I am a big proponent of on-the-body carry. Uh, So don't take your gun off. When you're in public, uh, leave your gun in your holster. And if you are set up with a proper belt, proper rig, that stays on your person when you go to the bathroom, <laughs> you know? And I, and so I see these people and they, they, they get sloppy. They get careless. I've actually seen that more with uh, people who it's mandatory and part of their job, as opposed to seeing it with just regular citizens, uh, regular armed citizens who want to do it. Um, so if you've got a regular person who's carrying a firearm, it, it's because they want to, they're not being told they have to by their employer. Um, you know, there was a there was a the Capitol police officer that shot Ashley Babbitt had gotten busted uh, in the months leading up to that for leaving his gun in the toilet at the Capitol. That's right. I forgot about that yep. one. I should have remembered that one before the one in Florida, but that's correct. Yeah, and so it, 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 and so you do see that once in a while, but it's usually carelessness. You also see uh, incidences like there was the DEA agent um, who was showing off his gun to a classroom with the "I'm the only one here professional enough to carry this gun" right before he had a negligent discharge into the floor. Uh, yeah. There was the FBI agent. There was a video where he was breakdancing at a club and did a flip, and his Glock flew out and landed on the floor, and he went to snatch it up and had a negligent discharge yep. uh, into, into the audience. And so, I mean, I see, I see incidences like this. Now, I'm not saying that citizens don't screw up. Uh, it's just like driving a car. Anybody can make a mistake. Uh, the thing is, if you do what you're supposed to do and you obey the basic safety rules and you're a responsible gun owner and you do this stuff safely, it is very safe. And the pros far, far outweigh the cons. And totally we need agree. to keep ourselves well, honest. Right. It's, and we, it's like, you know, you've talked about it, and, and, and I'm sure you write about it, too. You know, if a police officer isn't seconds away, uh, what's the next best thing? Uh, somebody else who can defend a people against a, a, a mass shooter or a, or a lethal threat that is seconds away. And, and whether that be, a, like you said, a teacher or a janitor or anybody else, somebody on the, on the premises is the next best alternative. And you're right. The benefits far outweigh the potential drawbacks of in a very unlikely event of somebody being careless and, uh, and, and absent-minded and having something like that happen. Uh, Larry, I want to ask one more question of you. And the book, again, for people uh, need to read this, In Defense of the Second Amendment. It's coming out on the 24th of this month, but you can pre-order it now by Larry Correa. I want to hit red flag laws real quick, because I know you have a chapter about this. A lot of people, myself included, like say, you can't blame guns, and you can't outlaw guns uh, because of some uh, gun users' um, uh, irresponsibility, and in particular those with mental illness. And some say, okay, then, so you support red flag laws, right? Because people who have mentally Ill, mental illness, which is a deficiency, I think in the legal parlance, if you have a mental illness and you have a weapon, it's called weapons under disability. So you clearly support red flag laws, right? So that people who are mentally unstable and perhaps dangerous cannot have these weapons, Right. And my answer is always no, but I want to hear your answer and how you cover it in the book. Sure thing. It's an interesting one because uh, the way red flags work is a state thing. I mean, though, yes, there's federal funding for that now. Uh, but it's 
going to vary from state to state in how they do it. And people say, well, we have somebody who's truly dangerous and they're danger to themselves and others. Uh, then there is actually already stuff in place that doesn't get into the red flag laws uh, where you can remove that person who is a danger to themselves and others and institutionalize them. Uh, most states don't take advantage of those laws because that is messy. Uh, and so the red flag laws, the idea is, well, we're not going to commit this dangerous person. We're just going to take their guns away. We're going we're to have the police go to their house of this person who is disgruntled, and we're going to take their firearms away, and then there's not going to be a problem anymore. And, well, the problem with that is you, if you truly have a person who is dangerous and you have just removed their weapon from them, there is absolutely nothing stopping them from procuring another weapon the same way that most guns used in crime are procured. And I go into that in a lot in the book, too. Um, so that's not that hard. You've let this dangerous person out still if he is truly dangerous. And on the other hand, I go into several instances where people who were not dangerous – got shafted by this system because they had some sort of malicious weaponization of the law where someone who was just out to get them uh, filed a complaint against them and said, hey, I have a relationship with this person. They are a danger to themselves and others. And they basically sick the law on someone to come and take their guns away. Now, that person now has a chance to fight back in court, which will cost a lot of money and time. And uh, the instance that I do cite in the book took years where someone hadn't done anything wrong, uh, they just got a malicious complaint against them, a weaponization of the law from uh, basically a snitch, tattletale, whatever, and uh, they were just trying uh, to get someone and harm them, and the state swoops in and uh, takes their ability to defend themselves. And then they had to spend thousands of dollars and now hundreds of hours fighting. It even happened to a police officer mm-hmm. in Colorado. It was one of the first red flag laws in the in the country. So and imagine how much worse this is going to be for regular people who aren't oh, cops. Yeah. Yeah, no, so no, no, no question about it. The point, the points are, are are spot on, and this is you know people, people seem to think they have the answer for everything, as if some person uh, is automatically going to be a threat. Because, and you know, and the worst part about it is just people who um, who who don't necessarily think that somebody is legitimately a threat, but there's a beef, there's a grudge, there's something that happened, there's a a, a former friend, there's a former girlfriend, a former boyfriend, or whatever the case might be, who just wants to. St- to, to wreck the person with whom they are at uh, at odds for whatever reason, and they know they're armed, and they know they have uh, second you know CCW or whatever, and then they're going to call and report them as being violent, making threats, and so forth. And then, as you know, taking guns away state by state, it changes a little bit, but taking guns away and forcing people to go to court, spend time, spend money, spend attorneys on getting uh, their weapons back and proving that they are not the threat that they were reported to be. That's the biggest thing with red red flag laws that I I try to uh, impress upon people, and I think you do a tremendous job of explaining that as well, and uh, and we'll do so in this book. Larry Correa, author of In Defense of the Second Amendment. It comes out on January 24th. It's a regnery book. You can look it up. You can pre-order it. You should. If you are looking to defend the Second Amendment against people who are wishing to take our gun rights away and you're looking for the right arguments, you'll find them in this book. Larry Correa, thank you for coming on. God bless you. We appreciate what you do. Well, thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. It's 11.28. Time for our newscast. We'll come back. One final segment to go, and we will take phone calls. Right, uh, Coming right up on AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. All right, 1136, Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. 
Uh, I said I wanted to take calls in our last segment, and away we go. Lisa is Lisa Woods. She's in Medina. She represents an organization called Medina County Friends and Neighbors, somebody told me one time. Lisa, good morning. Go right ahead. Good morning, Bob. We are so excited to have you speak tomorrow at Medina County Friends and Neighbors. Oh, is that tomorrow? Boy, I guess I'm going to get get busy writing a speech. Do you think you can think of something to talk about? (laughs) You know, it'll be rough. It'll be rough. We might have to talk about the Cavaliers or something because there's nothing going on in the news at all. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Hey, I'm really excited to hear about this. Um, Tell me again, the blue. um, True blue. True Blue, wow. I'm, True Blue, T-R-U-B-L-U. It's a, streaming, it's a streaming channel that is available everywhere. It's on the app stores. It is on your TV. All you got to do, if you, you know, if, you, if you do streaming on television, all you got to do is uh, do your little search for T-R-U-B-L-U, and it's, uh, it's a phenomenal streaming channel that is just growing by leaps and bounds. Original programming, it, documentaries, it's law enforcement-based and focused, covers all aspects of true stories. Um, and uh, my show is going to be called True Blue Daily, and it'll be uh, launching uh, maybe in the next week or two. We're shooting episodes right now, so uh, yeah, I want everybody to download that. It's a, a subscription service, but it's only four ninety nine a month. It's about a quarter of the cost of Netflix, and I think people are going to really love it. Oh, that is awesome! I am definitely going to do that. That's fantastic, and it's right up my alley of interest as well. So, thank Good. you so much. You well, do amazing you. things. You you do amazing things. And tomorrow we're going to have a room full of amazing people because we have leaders, we have elected officials, and we have have um, the most um, knowledgeable citizens <laughs> in Ohio <laughs> that come, and we can really celebrate. What well, we do is, and what yeah, we're fighting against. Group. It is a great group. Every time I come out and uh, and speak to your group, I enjoy it because they are true patriots and they are very very knowledgeable, and they are very very active. And that's what I like about them. They don't just sit around and complain. They they come out, they listen, they organize, uh, and that's what I want them to do. So uh, I'm glad to be there. And uh, eight thirty tomorrow morning at Thirsty Cowboy, right? At the Thirsty Cowboy at seventy one and Route eighteen, eight thirty. Call to order is eight forty five, and we yeah, look really looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. Thank you very much, Lisa. I'll see you I hope you everyone will come out. Thank you. Yes, let's get them out there. I hope to see a packed house there tomorrow at Thirsty Cowboy. Thank you, Lisa. Let's go to North Royalton now. Pete is waiting on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Pete. Go ahead. Good morning, Bob. God bless you for all you do. I truly appreciate it. Uh, I wanted to say, when someone accuses you or me of, 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 of being a threat and they're going to come and take our guns with the red flag laws, and it proves, it pr- it's proven that it's a lie, what what law protects us and, 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 and convicts that person for lying? I see that we get accused, but but nothing ever happens to the, the accusers, is what I'm saying. Yeah, and you're right, and there should be. Uh, you know, and, and that'll never happen, because they don't want true... Vi- see, here's the problem, as is in many cases. You know, real victims are harmed because of the... Uh, the propensity of people to lie about victim status. You know, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like crying rape when you have not been raped. Uh, you know, it's consensual, but then you have regret at the end. The guy never called you. Your feelings are hurt. You thought you were in love. You thought you were getting married, and then you accuse the guy of rape. And that hurts real rape victims who then aren't believed. That is similar to this situation. There are real people who have real threats or real uh, uh, concerns because somebody is a danger. Maybe somebody is psychotic. Maybe somebody has made threats to shoot up a school, and they want to say, hey, get to get the gun away from this guy. This guy just threatened to do that, and that might be a good thing to get the gun away from him. 
him. But because of the liars and because of the people who make up stories, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, uh, people say, well, I, uh, again, we could use the same story I did with the rape thing. A girl and a guy have a relationship, a breakup, and she's so mad and she's so livid and she hates him so much, she decides, I'm going to call the cops on him. I'm going to say he hit me and he threatened to shoot me and I know he's got a gun and boom. You know, um, what, what recompense is there for him? What, if he gets his gun back, he proves himself innocent in a court and the red flag law does not apply and, uh, what, what, what recourse is there for him, uh, on the, on the person who lied about him? Um, and there is, and he'll never and that's, get the, his, that's he'll the problem we have in our system. Either. I'm sorry. And he'll never get his guns back again either. Well, no, they can. If you if you go, but the the problem is you have to spend money on an attorney. You have to take time off work. You have to go to multiple hearings, court hearings, and cases, and prove that you are legally able to own a gun. And they will give you your gun back. But you can't. But but obviously, it's an extraordinarily difficult thing to do. One that one should not have to go through because our Second Amendment guarantees us the right to carry these as long as we are legal. So. Uh, it, it's a, it's, and thank you for the call, Pete. I appreciate it. It's a very, very difficult thing because you're right. Liars lie, and then there is no, uh, there's no um, accountability for them. And if they try to, if they try to put somebody else in a, in a very difficult spot because of their firearm, let's go to uh, AC, who is in Cleveland. AC, go right ahead. You're on the air. Hello, Bob. Hi, AC. Two things uh, about what's wrong with this picture about what, what's in Biden's garage. First of all, this thing about him having a carbon-powered Corvette in his garage should be sending Alexandria occasionally perplexed over the edge. <laughs> yeah, it should, right? He's got this muscle car that burns that burns gasoline. It's got a gasoline internal combustion engine and not an electric battery. Uh, so you're right; that should set her over the edge. And we're not hearing we're not hearing anything from her, are we? Not a word. Not a word. Right. He's, but by the way, he's going to kill fossil fuels. He said so, and they support him for doing so. But there he is with probably the lowest gas mileage vehicle that there is outside of a, a giant SUV or, or, or a tractor trailer. Uh, he's, he's in a, he's in a, he's in a muscle car with a powerful engine and very, very low, um, uh, gas mileage and, uh, nobody cares. Right. The other thing is this. Remember that old Jan and Dean song from the rebellious 60s, the little old lady from Pasadena? How old do you think I am, anyway? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I've heard of it, yes. I've heard of the song, but it was before my time. But what about it? Okay, well, the little old lady from Pasadena, and this is where, where Joe could be confused on what he actually has in there. It may not be a Corvette. She had a brand-new, shiny, red, super-stock Dodge. Okay, and she was the terror of Colorado Boulevard. So my question to you is, if you saw Joe driving a Corvette, would you think he was the terror of Pennsylvania Avenue? <laughs> well, uh, that's not bad. Thanks, AC, for the call. Uh, he's the terror of Pennsylvania Avenue if he's walking. No, he's the terror of Pennsylvania Avenue when he's trying to ride a bike. You've seen that. That's all we need to know about him. But, yeah, him behind the wheel of a Corvette, holy goodness. No, I would not trust that. I would tell everybody to get the hell off of the sidewalks. You're in grave danger. All right. I apologize to everybody I left on hold, but the uh, clock is not our friend right now. We're coming up on the end of the broadcast. So I want to say thank you to our guests. I want to say thank you to our team. Johnny, (coughs) 
excuse me, Marianne and Marcy doing great work for us. And I want to thank you, most importantly, for listening every day, for calling, uh, for sharing information. Don't forget to download True, uh, True Blue, T-R-U-B-L-U, for your streaming television service. And uh, take a look at True Blue Daily. Uh, have a great weekend. Be well. Be safe. And I'll see you tomorrow morning, too, at Medina County Friends and Neighbors. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.